0: It's depression season. Dark when we get up. It's dark when we get home. I'm not complaining about it, but you know. Uh, and we've got uh, three different sicknesses running around, uh, or going through the, the town, through the church. I've heard there's a big outbreak of RSV, COVID, and the flu. And I'm like, which is it? It can't be all three. I think it just depends which test you take at this point. But anyway, thankful that you're here and that you're healthy. Uh, we're in Isaiah 59 tonight. Uh, last week, I'm a little loud. If you could bring me down just a hair. Last week, we uh, Isaiah was talking about um, fasting. He talked about how the uh, the people in in, uh, in Judah were. Um, Going through all the motions, they would um, do the the spiritual looking things, that all you know with the wrong motives, uh, the wrong expected outcomes, and and God was just not having it. Uh, and fasting is one of those things that is a deep uh, can have deep spiritual impact, but not if you're doing it with uh, the wrong heart. And so He's going to kind of continue that. He's going to talk a little bit about prayer tonight, uh, and Again, one of those disciplines that is important, but it's important how you do it and where your heart's at while you do it. Anyway, we'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you this evening for giving us another opportunity to study your word, uh, that we've been blessed to have a place where we can gather safely and freely uh, to worship you. Lord, we, uh, we just pray tonight that you would help us to understand your word. That uh, you inspired Isaiah to write all this down thousands of years ago, and it may seem like we're separated by uh, nearly uh, three millennia, but it's, it's um, the truth hasn't changed, and people really haven't changed. Uh, so Lord, we just pray that uh, you would help us to glean from it what we uh, what we can. Help us to leave here knowing you better, and we pray this in Jesus' All right, so Isaiah 59, verse 1, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is a verse that uh, I've had quoted to me and kind of drilled into my head uh, for years about, you know, how your sin separates you from God. And uh, and while the Bible does, you know, this verse is in here, uh, I don't think that's quite what he's getting at, right? Uh, it's not that your sin makes it impossible for God to hear you. Is there's anything impossible for God? Yeah. And he loves you more than you can possibly imagine but what he's getting at is he's like you know is there something in your life that's making things this is from the Nate Mosley version is there something in your life making things weird between us right things are it's a little little bit weird between you and I but there's this thing this thing in the air that neither that you you know we're not naming it. and and if you've experienced that with in a relationship uh an earthly relationship, you can understand it, right? There's there's something, you know, a uh, grievance that we've just not aired. And he says, look, your iniquities, your sin, has driven this wedge between us where our relationship is not what it should be. In the 139th Psalm, verse 23, he, uh, David says this. He says, Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting. That's one of those prayers that uh, is a dangerous prayer. Right? God, search my heart and and then show me what you find. Show me what it is that's causing this weirdness between us, that's causing this um, uneasiness between us. The Bible's pretty clear, sin does hinder your prayer. Uh, Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear it. And again, it doesn't mean that God is incapable; that He literally can't hear. But He's saying, Look, I, "I don't want to listen to you right now. I don't want to hear that." When you know that it, there's something that we need to talk about, right? You know there's something we need to deal with first. Sometimes, though, we're just praying with—we're uh, praying for the wrong things, right? Or with the wrong motives. Uh, James four verse three says, "You ask and do not receive because you ask with what? With wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures." Right? So, sometimes uh, the reason that it may feel like your prayers aren't getting through, or that you know God's not answering your prayer, is just you're praying for the wrong thing. Right? I have been praying for a Maserati for a long time, and it's not shown up yet. Apparently, it's not the Lord's will for me to have one. But, you know, is, is your communication with God uh, just one-sided? Right? It's, I come to you, Lord, with my Christmas wish list. You know, Here's all the things I want. Amen. Is it one-sided to uh, where, you know, I'm not talking about anything other than my wants and desires, And also, I'm not giving him a chance to talk to me. You know, he talks to us through this, through his word. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God says, look, if you're not going to listen to my side of the conversation, your prayers are not going to be what they should be. Also uh, when I'm praying, am I praying in faith? Right, some of us we just we go through the motions but we don't really expect God to come through. I've been there. I've prayed uh, those prayers that I'm like I know I need to do this. I really don't see how it, this is going to turn out good in any way but I'm going to go ahead and pray anyway. In James 1, again, we'll go back to James, verse 5. I think it's interesting, James has so much to say about prayer. Because remember, James, this is the, the half-brother of Jesus. His whole life he got the chance to talk to Jesus. But he didn't believe, right? He didn't always believe that that, that this is God. And, I, you know, I, I think he knew a little bit about talking to God and sometimes doing it with the wrong heart and wrong motives and all that. But anyway, James 1, verse 5, he says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the, the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being... A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, sometimes we pray um, just to hedge our bets, right? We've all probably said it, like, the, all we can do now is pray, right? And i like, yeah, all you can do now is the thing you should have done first. But we, we pull, you know, we pull the prayer out like the spare tire or whatever. One that... Um, sometimes we don't like to hear is that our prayers can be hindered by how we're treating our spouse. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 it says, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she's a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that, what? So that your prayers will not be hindered. So, husbands, if you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, if you're not treating your wife well, Peter says it hinders your prayers. Now, that could be a couple different things, right? Like if if Dana and I are not on the same page, we may be praying opposing prayers, right? She may be praying for one thing, and I'm praying for another. And God's like you know you guys need to get it together before I answer either one of these right? it could be that it could be that um, God says look you're my bride right Jesus says you're my bride and as my bride if you're not honoring your bride you know I want you to I want I want you to feel a little bit of what that's like right if you're not honoring your bride I'm not gonna give you the, you know, all my attention maybe uh, like you would want. Trouble in any relationship um, can be a factor. Mark 11 says that uh, essentially that, you know, when you pray, make sure you're not withholding uh, forgiveness from someone or your prayers will be hindered. In Matthew 5, he, he puts it this way, verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, I know he's talking about offering rather than prayer, but the point is when you come before me, I want you to examine yourself first and go, you know what? I, am I going through the, the religious motions and having holding a you know, a grudge against somebody? Am I, am I living this stuff out, or is it just I only uh, have a relationship with God when I'm at the altar or when I'm giving my offering? God's not looking for reasons to withhold from you. Uh, he's saying, you know, before this conversation moves on to a new topic, I want you to care. uh, I want to make sure that you care about the things that are important to me. Before you give me your list of things you want, let's make sure we're on the same page. That you're forgiving. That you're a good husband. uh, That you're a good friend. That you're a person of faith that you spend some time in introspection, right? You actually examine your, yourself and your heart and your motives from time to time. That's a big one for us now in this uh, technological uh, wonder of an era that we live in, right? We very rarely sit in that uncomfortable silence, right? When things are uncomfortable or awkward, what's the first thing we do? waiting in line, I, now I don't, you know, I don't wait bored in line, I, I'm, i you know, I have access to all the world's information for all time in my pocket, so I'm, you know, researching useless information when I'm standing in line, but he said, you know, God wants us to spend some time, and he calls it meditation, right, time that, where we, we spend a little time examining ourselves and and thinking about the things that we so often try not to think about. Because how can we have a clear line of communication when you've got all this noise in the line, right? That's basically what he's getting at. All right, so we made it through two whole verses of Isaiah. Let's go back there. I know I kinda went on a little bit of a tirade, but Isaiah fifty nine verse three. He says, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. Remember, he's addressing a nation that has gotten its priorities out of whack. But there's multiple spots, we're not going to chase all the verses down, but there's multiple spots in the, in the scriptures where it talks about us lifting holy hands, that we, um, you know, they, they pray that, Lord, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Remember, we used to sing that song, those of you that have been around here a while, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not, uh, what, I can't remember the next one, uh, lift our hearts to another. Uh, that, was, that was something, you know, that we're, um, uh, we should be, when we examine ourselves, we go and look and we say our hands are, are dirty. And those of you that maybe have wondered why uh, some people lift their hands in worship, there's lots of reasons why. But for me, the way I've always understood it is this, that if you have a toddler, you know, sometimes they get their hands dirty, they get sticky, right? And they'll come up to you and do this. And they're like, my hands are dirty, and only you can clean them. They don't know how or or what you're going to do. They just know that you're the one that can make my hands not sticky anymore. And when we lift our hands to god and and praise right we're saying give us clean hands only you can make my hands clean only you can make my hands holy verse four he says no one sues righteously i don't know i've ever heard of a righteous lawsuit but i guess there are no one sues righteously and no one pleads honestly they trust in confusion and speak lies they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity They hatch adder's eggs or serpent's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. You ever talk to someone that you know that they're lying? It's super uncomfortable, right? Like, you're not going to call them out. You're, I'm just going to let you say all all this nonsense. But it's weird, right, when that happens. All the wives are like, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but no, we've all experienced that, right? But you talk with someone that where you just know that, you, like, how you really think I believe this story, but okay, I'll play along. Verse 6, it says, Their webs will not become clothing. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. In Proverbs, it talks about the the seven things that God hates the most, and that's one of them. The people that will hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace. And there's no justice in their tracks. They've made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Back there in verse 7, he said, Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. That verse... um, Remember, Paul is sort of the New Testament Isaiah, and Isaiah is the Old Testament Paul. Paul takes that verse um, in Romans, and he draws the conclusion, right, that this is this description that God is giving of this nation that has turned its back on him. Paul takes that further, and he says that's his description of everyone, right? He draws the the conclusion that there is none righteous, not one and that's true right? that's true for all of us but, uh, there's not a person in here that has not lied or or you know sinned in some someone you got to remember Isaiah he's addressing people who they love to go through all the motions of looking righteous but their hearts were far from him verse 9 it says therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. Uh, For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. That one's kind of weird. You know that uh, doves m- mate for life? Uh, you know, when we talk about, like, lovey-dovey and all that stuff. Well, if if uh, their mate dies, that, that dove just doesn't mate again. It, and then they actually uh, will mourn. Right? They, they coo and, and get depressed and very often will die um, because they won't take care of themselves anymore. He, yeah, I know that's sad. But he says, uh, and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. So he's basically, he says, look, we're anxious and we're moody and we, we growl and like a bear and bite someone's head off and that one day and then the next day we're down and depressed. And because sin affects everything. And when when our prayers are hindered, that affects everything. Verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, Conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. So they've grown so accustomed to their condition that they don't even have room for the possibility of something different. If you've ever dealt with depression you may be able to relate to that, right? You get so down that you can't imagine ever not being down. I can't imagine how to get out of the tailspin on the end. Verse 15, yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice who turns aside from evil and makes himself pray. It's, it's, things are so upside down that by doing the right thing you can cause problems to come into your life. Like it seems like you're better off to do the wrong thing. He says it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. This was a message that God was speaking uh, through multiple prophets around that same time. That he's looking around and finding no one to intercede. Ezekiel 22, uh, verse 30. He says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. So in a dark time, God says, The worst part is that there's no intercessor. Nobody really devoted to prayer. That's what intercession is speaking a word. To God for others. Most of the time, when we pray, we're praying for ourselves. Right? Bless this food. Give me the things I want. Amen. So God's like, no, I, I'm I'm looking for more than that. I want you to be praying for other people. And in dark time, He looks around. He says, "There's nobody that's devoted to doing that." To speaking to me on behalf of someone else. Then, as now, our world is is in trouble and desperately in need of that. Desperately in need of prayer. There are lots of things we can pray about. Not all prayers are intercessory, and not all prayers have to be intercessory. It's okay to pray for, um, you know, simple things. God. You know, bless this house or whatever. It's, that's okay. Or Lord, thank you for the things you've done. But there are. Uh, I'm going to give you just a brief, partial list of intercessory prayers that we're commanded to pray. We've got a slide for this. So uh, we're supposed to pray for all in authority. Um, that's in First Timothy two. Pray for your ministers, uh, pray for Jerusalem, pray for friends, pray for your fellow countrymen, pray for the sick, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, those who forsake us, and then what's the bottom right hand corner there, for all men, yeah not for women, just all, all men. <laughs> so yeah you you don't need it oh wow I will be praying for you later then. <laughs> now you know we we can make excuses right like Paul tells us to pray for our leaders and we go yeah well I don't like this leader well then you should be praying even more right? the Bible's clear that all all of us, as Christians, are called to be intercessors. We kind of over-spiritualize it, right? There are some people like, Pastor Scotty just prays better than I do. Right? Uh, I feel like he's praying in King James, even though he's not. Right? Uh, and so there are people that maybe have a, a more of a gift for it, but um, we're all called to that be intercessors, to be praying um, fervently for other people. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus for eternal life, God's Spirit is in you. And His Spirit makes it not so complicated. Right? Because sometimes we're like, well, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. That's okay. For one, you get better at it by doing it. But two, he even put a a kind of a little clause in there for us when we really don't have the word. In Romans 8, verse 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those times when I'm just brokenhearted over this, I don't even know what words to pray. Just oh God. God's like, I got it. The Holy Spirit says, We I'll make sure the the message comes across. But you still go through the go through the motion, still go to him in prayer. And that's not a privilege that's that's limited to like the ultra-spiritual Christian elite, right? It, it's a command to all of us. Uh, in fact, it's actually sin if we don't. Again, James tells us if you know what to do and you don't do it, that's sin. But it's explicitly stated in 1 Samuel 12. Uh, Samuel is really frustrated with the people around him. They're making bad decisions really aggravated with them, right? And he really wants to just, you know, tell them where they can stick their ideas and walk away. Then First Samuel 12, verse 23, he says this, he says, As for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to praise for you. You want to talk about a cold insult to throw somebody? That's a good way to, like, end an argument. You know, it would far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. God looks around and he says, look, I don't see, I don't see justice. It seems like you're penalized for doing the right thing. Nobody cares about truth. And so Isaiah 59, verse 16, it says, and he saw that there was no man and was was astonished that there was no one to intercede then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him God looked around for someone anyone to intercede for his people and found no one so he said fine I'll do it myself Hebrews 7 verse 25 It says, therefore he, Jesus, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is forever sticking up for you. His Bible also tells us that Satan, the devil, is the accuser of the brethren. He's always whispering in God's ear, did you see what he said? Did you see what he did? And Jesus says, that one's mine. Back off. But here's what else he does. Isaiah 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. And some of that may sound familiar to you. Paul draws on this the same imagery in Ephesians 6 when he, he talks about the armor of God. Verse 18, it says, According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries recompense to his enemies to the coastlands he will make recompense so they will fear the name of the lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the lord drives sometimes it can feel like the enemy's winning feels like that, you may just need to sit quietly and watch the Lord do what He does. It feels like nothing is going right. Maybe you just need to step back a second and let Him show you what is right. Verse 20, He says, A Redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Now, this is a little confusing. A few verses back, he started talking about There's no one to stand in the gap. So I'm going to send one who will. Right? I'm going to send this one that's, you know, clothed in righteousness, and he's going to be a redeemer and, you know, all this stuff. He's talking about Jesus. A redeemer is going to come out of Zion. Right? Then in verse 21, he says, as for me, this is God the Father. This is my covenant My spirit, which is upon you, remember Jesus. God just, God the Father just comes out and says, "This is my beloved Son. My spirit is upon him. You should listen to him." And Jesus said, "I only speak the words which the Father tells me to speak." He says, "I'm going to put my words in your mouth," and and. shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, from now and forever. God's word is in you. Um, The word that crushed the serpent and the word that became flesh and forgave us while we crucified him, his word is in you. We need to keep that two-way communication going. And keep praying and keep yourself in His Word. Keep talking to Him and keep letting Him talk to you. And every now and then we may have to pray one of those David-like prayers. Like, create in me a clean heart. To me, the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Let me pray for you, Lord. We just come before you tonight, uh, knowing that uh, we all have parts of our hearts that we've not turned over to you, areas that we've been neglecting our relationship with you. Lord, we just pray that, as David prayed, that you would examine us, show us what it is that's, that's off, and re- renew us, restore us, give us a new zeal uh, for you and for your people. Lord, we pray for your blessing on this church, on your people, and we pray you, Jesus comes and comes quickly. And everyone says, uh, ready? Great.